Hello and welcome to The Beautiful Game, a series exploring personal improvement and resiliency through interviews with soccer coaches from around the world. Beautiful Game is brought to you by Weasels FC, a brand for the tenacious, quick-witted, and occasionally underestimated. I am your host, Tony Niccolo. Join me as we learn to live, work, and play better with more confidence, resilience, and success. So welcome to The Beautiful Game. Our audience is a broader community of entrepreneurs, business people, parents, players, coaches who are looking forward to hearing your insights and ideas about how to play, live, and work better. I'm here this morning with Sarah Hagen, who, because of your experience in the Frauenbundesliga, I always want to call you Sarah Apfelhagen, but Sarah Hagen, who has an amazing life story, but also was a professional player for Bayern, for FC Kansas City, where she won the NWSL two times. She's worked as a coach and as an assistant athletic director and is now active in marketing and business. And so she's got a broad range of experience to share with us. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you for having me. The first thing I always like to ask is, our sponsor is a brand called Weasels FC. And I want to know what you think about weasels, not the brand, just the animal. <laughs> I imagine just a, a critter type of varmin, <laughs> maybe not the nicest of animals. Okay. They're often underestimated creatures. But as a Wisconsin native, they're also in the same family as the wolverine. So you're probably not a fan. Enemies, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. I was watching some some highlights last night. I have to say that I'm frankly surprised that you didn't get more time with the U.S. women's national team. You've got some of the classic number nine qualities, can score all types of goals, but you also had great balance, nice feet, feints, a quick drop of the shoulder, often combined with the midfielders and had assists as well. You're still on the top 10 of the NCAA all-time goal-scoring list. After university, you decided to play professionally, and you were drafted by an NWSL side, but decided to make the trip to, to Europe to one of the biggest clubs in the world, not necessarily in the women's game, but certainly from a global perspective, Bayern Munich is a, is a, is a big club. What was that like, and why did you choose Europe? Yeah, it's a crazy time in your life. I went into college not knowing what to expect, whether I was going to be an impact player, come off the bench. So much in life is just about timing. And I made the most of my opportunity from that very first first moment as a freshman at UW-Milwaukee. Was able to have a sustainable career all four years with some good numbers, with great teammates. You're being humble because lots of people in your senior year, the only reason why they thought your team was a contender is because they had the best player. Well, I mean, to be fair, you know, someone had to cross the ball to me and had great coaching staff who are now at Northwestern. But it was just such a great environment where I felt like I could really develop as a player and succeed as a player. So then I think looking into my professional career, I, I had great advice from my coaches, the ones who are now at Northwestern, and they really urged me to pursue over in Europe, uh, specifically the Bundesliga, just because of the stableness of, of that league. 
actually, when I was drafted, it was actually in the WPS with Philly. Paul Riley had drafted me. I had ended up deciding, you know what, a little bit of a risk. So I decided, you know what, I'll, I'll go with the safe option. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I mean, Bayern Munich is such a well-known club for the most part on the men's side and to, and to see how it's grown over the years and to be part of that history for the women's side was really, really special. Yeah, it was just two years. It wasn't the season after you left, but it was this two seasons after that they ended up winning the, the Bundesliga, right? Yes. And then they qualified for Champions League. I've been trying to keep up, obviously got a lot going on now, <laughs> but uh, I still keep in touch with some of the girls and so happy that they're now being able to play in those bigger games, those bigger moments, and really to bring some light to that women's side. Because a lot of those girls, I don't think people realize what goes on behind the scenes. My first year there, our training facilities were not top-notch. We played at a, a small park that you would kind of compare to like a high school atmosphere. And we had a, a grandma and grandpa who fold our laundry after every practice and stuff like that. And so it was very kind of grassroots there. And to see how it's gotten more attention since they've had success and more money coming their way. And it's great to see the, the game grow over there. Yeah, it's, it's not like it was even this year where women's teams are actually playing in the proper stadiums. Right. It is great to see that growth. I still want to ask a question about, I mean, you, you point out your Northwestern coaches who encouraged you to make the leap. Your nickname is Apple because of, of where you're from in, in Wisconsin. We were just speaking with uh, Jay Demerit a while ago, and he said growing up, he didn't really know anything about football. Like he played, but he was actually an American football fan. He was a Packers fan. His hero was Brett Favre. Yep, mine too. Did you know Byron? Did you have heroes in the game? Why'd you make the leap? I didn't really know a ton about Byron other than I've heard of them at that point in my life. And I knew it was a big deal. I knew it was a big deal to get a contract offer from them. The great advice from my old coaches urging me, hey, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity go over there, even if it's just for three, four months, you can always fall back on coming back to the States. Within a month or two after being over in Germany, I believe that's when the WPS folded. And so it made me realize, wow, I did make a great decision in, in going over here, taking that risk. I remember the day that I landed in Munich and the GM picked us up with one of the players and the GM didn't speak a lick of English. And so it was very eye-opening, driving to our apartment, getting checked in and, and all that and and seeing all these German signs and then showing up to my first practice and all of a sudden everyone's speaking the whole sessions in, in German. It was very eye-opening, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think it was probably the best decision I've made in my life. Just the culture, it helped me grow up extremely fast. I'm an only child coming from a small town. And so I went to college an hour and a half from where I grew up. That was really the, the farthest I had ever been away from home for that long period of time. After those four months, I decided, you know what, this is such a cool experience. And I ended up staying there for two more years after that. You adapted quickly there. I mean, you scored 38 goals in, in 51 matches. You scored the match winner in the German Cup. If you think about Bayern strikers or even Bundesliga strikers, there's a player who's maybe a year older than you, Robert Lewandowski, who's considered sort of one of the best strikers of his, of his generation. And your numbers are similar. You were clearly succeeding there. Bayern as a women's team was was growing. You were finishing just outside of the Champions League places, but finishing in the in the top four or five and getting ready to push on for those Champions League spots. But you decided to leave. Why? Yeah, I mean, I could nitpick that decision. People have asked me that plenty of times. I don't regret anything I did. 
Like I said, I had a great experience there. I felt like I developed so much as a player. Robert was one of the players who I kind of idolized when he did come over. And my coach was like, he wanted me to try to emulate my game to be like his, just because of how powerful and how calm and composed he is in the box as far as finishing. As far as coming back to the States, I was getting called into national team camps at the time and felt like it would be a great opportunity for me to come back to the to the States and, and, and get more exposure in front of all those girls and in front of Jill Ellis. And maybe you look back and say, hey, maybe it didn't pan out because my time with the U.S. women's national team wasn't the longest. I did have two caps with them. It was, again, that's a great experience. Led me to two championships with Kansas City. It brought me to Orlando, which I still live in today. So I don't regret it. I wish I would have had more of an opportunity to go back towards the later end of my career. But I think I was just at that point just ready to kind of hang up the boots and and start something new. I want to hear from your perspective what it was like. I mean, you had to be thinking at some point, Abby's got to finally retire. And the style of play, women's teams in other countries were sort of starting to catch up and probably playing a bit differently, a style that I would say that you're probably suited to combining more. And what was it like? You were starting to get called in, but not really getting minutes. It must have been frustrating. Yeah. I mean, and I think I probably had a big deal or a big impact on why I did decide to retire because I, towards the last few years of my career, I wasn't getting a ton of minutes. And especially with the national team, obviously breaking in with that, it's it's very difficult to do. I think what I offered as a forward wasn't like many players at that position on a lot of teams, not just the national team. I offered a more of a like you said, a typical nine, strong, tall. I combined well with players, really good at finishing the ball in the air. And so the one downfall of my of my game was my speed. I wasn't always necessarily the fastest player. And so I think it was hard for me to kind of break into that national team role because you look at all the forwards that come in and they're lightning fast. And so I think, you know, I've had coaches tell me in the past that if you were playing for any other national team, you probably would be a, a, a starter on that team. Maybe first name on the team sheet. If you look at some of the European strikers who's playing now for Midama, for example, mm-hmm. she's not that fast. Right. You don't need to be fast in terms of acceleration. You need to be fast in terms of speed of thought, find a yard of space and be able to finish your opportunities. Yeah. And again, all coaches have different styles of coaching, play different formations. Uh, I was on teams with other really fast forwards. And so over in Germany at Bayern, we had always played a, a standard four four two, And so I think I really thrived on that, having that one other forward with me that I could combine with, lay off the ball, spin, get in the box for a ball goes out wide, cross and finish. That was really my bread and butter. And so to have playing either a 4-5-1 or a 4-3-3, where I didn't have that direct partner as a forward, I don't know if that necessarily suited my style the best. But again, it's about timing and it's about coaches who who really want to believe in you and, and give you the right opportunity. And so you decided to hang up your boots, mm-hmm. even though you, you, I mean, you had some success when you came back to the States, you got some call-ups, you won two NWSL titles, but you decided to retire. What was the sort of final decision around retiring? And Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough to play six years. I think for me personally, I felt like I had accomplished everything that I wanted to as a, as a professional. Growing up and wanting to become a professional athlete, I got that. Obviously, I mean, you mentioned how much success I had over at Bayern, being able to play there, have such a cool experience, coming back to the States, winning a few championships there, 
playing kind of all over, being sponsored by Adidas for four years, getting called up with the national team, you name it. I felt like I accomplished a lot and I was very content with what I had been doing. I felt like I was declining as far as performance. And obviously, I think you're now starting to see a lot of people, whether it's soccer or other sports, come out and, and talk about the the mental part of the game. And for me, I think I struggled towards the end of my career just accepting my role as last minutes and and maybe not starting a game or coming off the bench. And it was hard to kind of see how coaches didn't appreciate what I brought to the table as a forward. And so after game, after game, after game, and just kind of took its wear on me. And I, I just felt like, you know what? I've had a great career. I'm not fully enjoying myself anymore at this point. At 28, making the money that I was making as a professional soccer player, I I just thought, you know what? It's time to move on and do something different. So you made the transition into coaching. You said you wanted to make more money, but you transitioned into coaching (laughs) (laughs) at first. You coached at Orlando City with their youth teams and at a high school in Florida. What groups were you coaching and what was that transition like? Yeah. So I, you know, immediately I was like, oh, the easiest transition is to get into coaching, which I don't know if it is the easiest transition. Yeah. I started with Orlando City Youth Soccer, had a like a kind of like a third level team just to kind of get my feet wet with with the whole coaching. A different type of experience going into my second season with them. I had a, a U17 team and a U14 team, I believe. And so it was eye-opening to kind of see the the differences between different ages. Obviously, with my background being a professional soccer player at that time, I, I was like, oh, I know the game so well, but to actually coach and to teach it to someone else, it is challenging. And I think for me, like I did enjoy it. I had a blast doing it, helping young girls develop and, and seeing them understand the game the way that it should be. It was very humbling because There's a lot that goes into it, a lot that goes on behind the scenes, coming up with plans, making sure half your team really understands it, really grasp it. But the bottom half, it's making sure that everyone is getting the maximum knowledge from you from that moment. I think jumping straight from playing to getting into coaching, I think wasn't what I needed at that time. Like I talked about how the mental how I just felt drained at the end of my career. I think getting into coaching, I just wasn't ready to to start showing up onto the field for other players. I had done it my entire life for 25 years, showing up to, to the field on my own for my own, getting my own results. And to start doing that for young girls, I don't think I was quite ready. I mean, I would love to get back into coaching again someday. This last year, doing what I'm doing now and, and not doing the, the coaching part has been a little refreshing. So I, I, I want to talk about what you're doing now, but you've spent a lot of your life being resilient and battling adversity. And mm-hmm. then when you were coaching, you were, a lot of those players were the same age as you when, when you had a life-changing diagnosis. You were 15 and diagnosed with dysgerminoma, which is a, a germ cell tumor. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where it was the size of the soccer ball a size four ball. Yes. But it's not surprising given how strong athlete, you didn't really notice it or that it was that painful until you're really having to do crunches and and finally get to a point and and decide that you need to tell your parents about it and go see a doctor. And then that experience is obviously difficult. And even the treatment process, even though it only lasted five months, has right. had some super scary moments and no one who's on chemo enjoys it. You went into anaphylactic shock. 
recovered from that. But then at the end of it, just you have to make a decision that's going to impact the rest of your life to have a hysterectomy. My eldest child is 10. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine going through it as a parent, let alone personally. Can you talk a little bit about, obviously, you have a great deal of perseverance and resilience and, and lots of mental skills to be able to, to overcome those difficulties. And, and you've talked about some of them as staying positive and valuing relationships. But how do you, how do you practice it on a day-to-day basis, right? Like you have those sort of deep, life-changing lessons when something doesn't go well at work or you've got a friend who's been flaky for some reason, just the the normal day-to-day life things that that people get upset about. How do you actually in practice use those lessons and use them to to live better? Yeah, I mean everything's you know relative and obviously getting diagnosed with cancer at the age of 15 wasn't something that I ever thought I was going to have to go through. I don't think my parents ever thought that they would be taking their daughter to the hospital to have surgeries and chemo and go through that whole process. But again, it's what I try and tell some of these younger players is with my story is that life is going to throw you these challenges. I wasn't ready to start showing up to the hospital for treatment and going through all that, but it's you're not alone when you do those things. I'm an only child, but I had a ton of family members show a ton of support for me as I was going through that. My high school raised a ton of money holding coffee houses and charity events for me for just to help ease my mind and my parents during those times, friends showing up to the hospital. I couldn't even have friends come see me when I wasn't at the hospital because my immune system was so low. And so there was a lot that went on during those five months. Luckily, it was only those five months that I had to go through treatments and surgeries and and all that. But I look at some of these kids now who are having treatment for two, three years, and it's, it's crazy to think. But at the end of it, I was obviously lucky enough to recover from all that, survive, just trying to live your normal life after that. I remember when I had just finished chemo, I had been playing high school basketball at the time, like before I found out I was sick and I was trying to shoot and I threw the basketball up to the rim and I didn't even make it to the rim. I had lost that much strength and muscle. And so coming back from that, my first soccer game, I played 10 minutes and I was absolutely gassed, but I was just so happy to be back out in the field. And so I think my story obviously has been a huge inspiration for a lot of people, whether they had cancer themselves, their kids had cancer, or they know someone else. And so for me to be able to use my platform to kind of share that message with people and persevere and and be positive, because that's what really got me through it. It's been such a cool thing to be able to to kind of share. I've had people come up to me after games say, hey, I'm two years cancer free. You're a huge inspiration. I just finished my last round last week. Or It's really special to have that bond as much as it, it's, it's crazy to think, you know, oh my gosh, we have that in common. But it's really special to be able to, to kind of be that inspiration for other people. It's definitely inspiring. For people who haven't had a life-changing experience, who haven't had cancer, haven't had a near-death experience, what is your advice to them in terms of ways to maintain perspective without having to have a a catastrophic experience? Yeah. I mean, when I speak to to younger players, you no matter what life is throwing at you, whether hopefully it's not cancer, but if you break your leg at a practice or your boyfriend breaks up with you, no matter how severe or, or not severe that 
challenges for you in your life that it will get better. Lean on the people that are around you. I think obviously being an only child, I never had a huge support system as far as siblings. And you have to really branch out, use the people around you because there are people who will help, who will listen, who will be there for you. And then just looking at it at the situation as positive as you can. I could have sat in that hospital room and been negative and asked, you know, God, why me? Or which I did at times. But again, that's not going to help you get anywhere. You have to be positive in those tough times and use the people around you. But I think uh, the point that you're making that it's interesting is that it's okay to have negative feelings and negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to acknowledge them. That That mental toughness is not about the absence of, of negative feelings or emotions. It's more important that we have mental skills and that we can we can be vulnerable and acknowledge those things, but then we emphasize what's positive and what's good and find ways to, to not dwell in the negative. But it doesn't mean that you don't have negative thoughts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're all human. We all have those thoughts. It's just, it's a matter of overcoming those thoughts and and being productive with those thoughts. And so now you do some of that in your current work and get to talk to other players and, and athletes in a way still related to your playing career because a teammate of yours at FC Kansas City, Yael, wrote a New York Times article about how life is as a, a professional soccer player in the NWSL and in the women's game in general at that time. It's not a chef traveling with the team. It's you're eating at places like Chipotle. Mm -hmm. Now you are working with a word of mouth marketing agency called Fizz and your market manager there and your primary client is Chipotle. Tell me a little bit about your, your role there and what you do. Like I mentioned, I live in Orlando still. I'm in the Orlando market. On behalf of Chipotle, I I speak to to youth players. That's why I'm here at this convention, to youth players, to coaches. I'm just trying to just share how much nutrition has an impact on, on players' performance. And I think, obviously, parents can stress that to their kids. Coaches can stress that to their kids. But having it come from a, a former player like myself has a huge impact. And it, it's just sitting down, having a conversation with with athletes and and trying to help them. How can they improve their performance? How can they beat athlete? And nutrition has such a huge impact did for, for myself and my career. And like you mentioned, at the professional level, not every team in the NWSL had a shelf or had every single meal catered for them. And so when I played for FC Kansas City, Chipotle was, was a rush that we chose all the time because we knew that it was going to be in a lot of big cities and we could go there with all of our teammates. Everyone could eat there, whether you were a vegan or, or whatever your dietary needs were. What have you learned from the game? What have you learned on the pitch that you're, that you're now able to bring back into your, to your business role? Yeah. So, I mean, I have so much more to offer than just being there for work. You know, kids love to just have that interaction with me, ask what it was like being a professional athlete like I've mentioned, I mean, when I was going into being a professional athlete, I had this this huge, my imagination was like, oh, we're going to get treated so well and we're going to have all this, you know, accessibility to everything. And a lot of times it might not even be as good as the college that you came from. And so I think what I like to talk to athletes about is just making the most out of your opportunities, using the resources around you. 
are you doing everything you can to, to get to that next level? Nowadays, I think kids have so many different distractions in their lives with all these different apps and social media and all this stuff, which is, it's, it's great. But it's also when I was growing up, we didn't have all those distractions. You got to the field, you started knocking the ball around and just trying to to instill that work ethic into younger, the younger generation that it does take a lot more than what you're doing. If you think you're doing enough just by showing up to team oriented events, you have to be doing more than that. Yeah. If you, if you don't spend your time outside of team practices, doing some training other than learning TikTok dances, right. <laughs> it's probably going to be tough to be a professional. Yep. Yeah. In that context of knowing the amount of work it takes to, to succeed in anything at the at the highest level in your new role and, and in business and and you've mentioned maybe going back into coaching and as you think about sort of the rest of your professional career how do you evaluate what you're doing and your own progress so that you're continuously improving obviously with my new role i still have the opportunity to impact youth athletes careers you know i'm not actually coaching, but I'm able to have conversations with kids. And I think that's so important. I remember when I was in high school, even if I had any sort of interaction with a a college athlete, I thought that was so cool because that's where I wanted to get to. And then obviously being a professional, former professional player, you have such a platform and responsibility to help that next generation get there. And so what life has in store for me for the next 5, 10, 30 years, I don't know. I enjoy what I'm doing now in marketing. Again, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I'm enjoying it for now. You've mentioned your coaches at Wisconsin-Milwaukee influenced you and, and taught you some things, both mental skills and resiliency, but also about taking opportunities. Is there a coach or a mentor or just someone in the world that you'd like to talk to about personal growth and resilience? Who is it? And what would you ask them? I think when I look back as to all the different coaches that I've had, my former coaches at UW-Milwaukee who are now at Northwestern, they really helped me develop and not just as a player, but as a person. What they offered us as far as student athletes, the the demand for having good grades, seeing the picture beyond soccer, creating such a family-oriented kind of program where I still communicate every holiday. We have a, a group message going from my class and the class above me from college. And so I think that's really special to, to still have those bonds and that they really taught us that the relationships that you're making now at this point as a college athlete, you want to build off of these relationships. And obviously being in the business world, networking and, and having those relationships is so important. Those two coaches I had, Mike and David, they worked so well together. Mike was kind of more the the hard-nosed, straight-faced kind of soccer guru. And, and David brought you know, more of the relationship. Hey, if you're having a hard day, if you're having a struggle at practice, he picked up on those little things and could get you through that tough time. And so just having that the combination of what the two of them brought to the table helped me in my career. And so any chance that I get to go back and, and to speak with them, like I mentioned to you earlier, I, I saw them last weekend in Orlando for the ECNL showcase and just being able to have that conversation with them again on the outside and looking back at what they offered me and, and seeing what they're doing now at Northwestern. It, those two people are probably had the most influence in, in my career as a soccer player. In business and in life, I know that I haven't always valued relationships as much as I should or sometimes lose perspective and, and make mistakes. And, and I think most people do in various ways. And so 
I'm really grateful that you've taken the time to spend with me this morning, really value it. And I think that perspective of valuing relationships and making sure that you care about people as people beyond whether it's a business relationship or they're a player on your team that you want to fill a particular role is so important. And it's been great to spend some time with you. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Thank you so much. I've had a blast. Thank you for joining us today on The Beautiful Game. We hope you also have some new ideas and inspiration to live, work, and play better. Please subscribe to get future episodes. And you can join the conversation with your host, Tony Niccolo, on Twitter at WeaselsFC. FC.